Hi everyone, I'm Melissa and welcome back to my podcast. So today we're going to be discussing systemic racism and more specifically the history of systemic racism. And this was something I I didn't even plan to talk about. I honestly had nothing planned for this week and I wasn't going to put anything out. But it came to me after having a couple conversations with people this week about um, racism and how it affects like our different branches of society and stuff like that. Like really random conversations and I was like, okay, maybe not everyone knows or not knows but isn't aware of like the history of it um firstly a definition funny enough the only definition i could find of systemic racism was from ben and jerry's like the ice cream company i didn't even know why they did this but you know what like you know ben and jerry's they're doing their thing like this is actually very very good so the definition that they gave is racism of this kind racism that infects the very structure of our society and they said, at first glance, it may be difficult to detect, which I think is very true. And this definition that they gave, a lot of definitions that were online were kind of skewed. They weren't really getting to the point, but this is basically what it is. So systemic racism is racism that infects and disrupts the structure of our society. Um, it's racism that affects minorities, people of colour, pox, whatever you want to call people of colour and today obviously like I said I want to talk about the history of it and the history I'm going to talk about the history and how it affected um, the US and the UK more specifically there's definitely more information about the US than the UK which is a bit weird and I feel like a lot of people do know about this subject they might just not know the coin the coin the term that is used for this but um, yeah in the US basically so this is kind of like a history lesson but I'm trying to keep it as history less but still interesting as I can but obviously this is very history based for the history of systemic racism in the US um, it basically it doesn't really have a starting point of when it sprung up because something like this doesn't does just doesn't spring up obviously this was probably more noticeable like during the slave trade times in the 19th and 18th century in America even after it was abolished like in terms of people getting voting rights like um working class men got their voting rights obviously that's an amazing thing that working class men could have gotten their voting rights because i don't know if you guys know it was only wealthy men who owned property and like houses and land that could vote and then i don't know how many years later it was i don't know what year either um working class men could get the ability to vote this was the same in the uk by the way and it was only until i don't even know what year but i'm gonna say very recently but very recently doesn't mean like 2000s it's definitely in the nine okay the ninth i want to say 1960s that um black men also got the right to vote yeah so a lot of the systemic racism comes from there a lot of it comes from um just generally it in america definitely stems from the slave trade slavery and in the uk it more stems from when people were okay so i can i don't i can't go further back than the 1900s because that's just a lot but i'm gonna start from like the 1900s for basically in the uk was more about colonies because you know the british empire was huge like, I think I read somewhere, like, the British Empire, like, colonised over two-thirds of the two-thirds of the whole world at one point. It was the biggest colony of all time. And um, from that, the whole colonisation and the relationship between the coloniser country and the colonies was very rough. And there's still that, um, the, um, the British Empire still had hold over these colony countries that also developed this whole systemic racism in terms of, like, 
a lot of expats, so expatriates, so British people who lived in these colonies, had rights to land, rights to ownership of everything. They could create businesses, even though the people, the people of those countries couldn't do so. They were earning way less. That was the inequality that was there. In the UK, it's more so based on colonization and colonies that systemic racism forms from. And then, so that was the first chunk. And then in the UK, the second bit is like the wind rush and the people from the Caribbean coming over in the 60s, the 50s, 60s and 70s. And subsequently, um, the African population coming over in the 70s and 80s. And this whole new rush of different, quotation mark, different people coming in to the country. That's where systemic racism also comes from. Obviously, there's also the Asian population coming into the UK in the 60s and 70s. Obviously, the Indian population came over earlier because they also fought in the war, in the First and Second War for the British. The same thing with the Caribbean and more so, I think it was West. I don't even want to say, but I'm just going to say, and also African soldiers were um, fighting for the British army in the First and Second World War. I feel like I deviated a lot, but I hope I covered where the history bits came from. But firstly, I want to discuss the US. Um, the US, in terms of housing, systemic racism is very prevalent. And I'm going to discuss the history of the housing issue in the US and then talk about everything else. Okay, so obviously, I think everyone knows about the Great Depression in the US. Um, what happened in the 1920s, the economy collapsed. I mean, the stocks. What the stocks? The stock market, please, I don't know the right words. The stock market collapsed um, in the 1920s where affected the whole world and the American uh, economy collapsed like it said over I think it was like over 5 million people were unemployed or 2 million people were unemployed during that time so um, FDR who was the um, president at the time wanted to um, resuscitate and re revitalize the economy so what he did was he passed two bills and the two bills were the public's public works administration and the Federal Housing Administration, before it used to be called something else, but they renamed it. And basically, what FDR was doing, he wanted to encourage people to purchase the new affordable housing that they produced and they were making. But the one of the bills he would created, which was the PWA, the Public Works Administration, created housing for white individuals and for minority individuals. And how they did that was using redlining. So redlining is basically... A government initiative that was um, started in 1920s or was banned in the 1970s, but the effects are still prevalent today. Redlining is um, the denial of various services by the government um, and the, I mean, the federal government and the local governments in each state, as well as the private sector to residents of specific, most notably black in this case, um, neighborhoods and communities so basically it's denying people of color specific more specifically black people because it did affect black people uh, not a bigger amount but it was more notable so basically um, affecting people of color in gaining housing education health services or the top quality of those services so redlining if you just look at redlining maps usa you will that is basically a map of um it would be a state or an area or city, wherever, wherever. And that um, local government would draw the lines and basically they would decide where they um, where they would box in, um, let's say, they would, this is like a, a white, quotation marks, a white area. They would box it in and the banks or whatever 
would be more willing to give um, mortgages to those areas because they're more white successful successful um, areas. Then um, the banks are like, oh yeah, no, these people, they they earn more. They're more able to pay back their mortgages. They're more reliable. We're just going to give them the money. And it was definitely also to segregate the black and white communities and make sure there was no intermixing or whatever. So with this redlining um, initiative that basically FDR, FDR introduced, um, um, you know, it basically fenced off areas. Yeah, so banks would basically avoid investing um, in terms of giving loans to people of colour into those areas. So those areas became really deprived. So basically they just wouldn't get loans for homes. So they would obviously have to rent homes from most of the time very um, rich um, rich white homeowners who would rent them out and they would have to pay like literally extortionate um, housing prices. They'd be in overcrowded rooms. Like some of the rooms used to be like um, seven, eight people in one room with like oh, beds on the floor and beds that went on the floor, stuff like that. And even though redlining was banned in the 1970s, it's still prevalent today because those areas obviously would redline like more than 89 maths a more than 80 years ago yeah okay so you could say 100 years ago because that was in 1920s okay just under 100 years ago those areas because they're systematically being denied um loans to buy the houses it's continued as basically in a cycle that's just been revolving 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 and even to this day because um, in America, it's very different to the UK. In the UK, schools get their funding from, obviously, the taxpayer. They get it from the government, and they can also get it from um, private donors, if it's like the Church of England, um, whatever it may be. In America, you get your most of their funding through local property taxes. So basically, that's the thing about like this. If there's an area that is that the homes are worth less because um, they've been under under price so yeah exactly with the um housing system because of this whole redlining thing the black homes were underpriced and like people of color's homes were worth up to 25 percent less than a white neighborhood which is shocking so when it came to the taxes that came from the houses the schools had less because the houses were worthless so obviously if the schools have less um taxation revenue to use the education in terms of the teachers that they employed the facilities the resources they could use and the extra extracurricular activities that they could finance would obviously be lesser of or of a worse um what am I trying to say a worse you know what I mean like a worse condition okay basically they wouldn't be as good as in the white neighborhoods so there would be less opportunities available for these children in those educations and like there'd be less external mentorships at the school could able to provide or afford because they don't have enough money from these housing um thingies now obviously their redlining doesn't it that they don't practice redlining but the effects are still there that these neighborhoods are still as as poor as they were back then obviously it's increased in terms of the money value everything's increased so it's it's worth more now but the, so in terms of um them coming out of the cycle these um the residue of the redlining needs to be destroyed before anything can really develop so redlining they redlining didn't basically didn't really happen in the uk but um a lot of people say like the fact that are more some areas are more um predominantly people of color than other areas that that's a form of redlining but i don't really think it is because it's not like they were denied the services 
because and then they were denied to buy homes in that area because redlining was literally a government law a government initiative nothing like that was introduced into the uk well as far as i know and i don't think it was like i've read stuff and people were like yeah redlining doesn't really happen here it didn't really happen in the uk but yeah um there was some interesting thing i found out like a wisconsin bank with branches in minnesota had to pay a 200 million dollar um settlement fee for three years because a housing lending um complaints company um brought to them that they this can't um this bank was doing redlining as in they weren't the the bank wasn't giving loans to people um of color who were in these more um quotation mark deprived areas so for that they had to pay a settlement fee and that was because the bank apparently did it between 2008-2010 yeah they said it discriminated against blacks and hispanics who wanted to seek mortgages okay so basically redlining go read about it it's very interesting i really it was i had learned about it in um geography when i did it um in my first year of geography in sixth form so my as and and the second thing that I wanted to talk about was in the UK, like, as I said, the housing issue in the UK, it wasn't, it wasn't um, redlining per se, but I wanted to just talk about um, some, I just want to mention, spit out some stats about um, home ownership in the UK, which when I was reading this, I was like, oh, wow, I didn't even clock, like, it's really, really, really this is a very big um divide divide difference um so some stats oh yeah and all of this information i've got from u.s government websites most okay the stats i've got from u.s government websites uk government websites i've got it from um research research projects i've got it from university research projects so all of that so if you want to know if you want to find the links to read on it just message me and i'll like actually send it but um, some of the ones from, I've now moved on to UK, by the way. So with the UK, the homing situation is um, a bit different to the US. If you guys aren't from the UK, basically in the UK, there's private homes and there's, okay, I don't know what, how it is in the US, so I might sound stupid by saying in the UK. But in the UK, there's um, council homes, which is provided by the government, and there's private homes, which are owned by people. So they buy their home, they pay their mortgage, and that is their house. Or people who buy their home and they rent it out to people and they are a landlord. And some of the stats, um, what am I trying to say? So it was saying 63% of households in England owned their own homes between 2016 and 2018. And I was like, okay, cool, whatever. So now I was like, okay, can I, cool, let's look at it on an ethnic level. Because, you know, that's kind of what we're trying to do with this whole systemic racism thing. Let's look at this um, on an ethnic level. So it was saying 68% of white British households owned their own homes compared to 74% of Indian households. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. But then when I went to look at um, the amount of households who have a background of being black African, it said 20% of black Africans own their own home. Compared to sixty-three percent of white British, sixty-eight percent of white British households, so sixty-eight percent versus twenty percent, that is shocking. And then compared to seventeen percent of Arab households, deep it, that is crazy. 
And there was another thing that I was reading. So basically we're saying in every socioeconomic group and age group, white British households were more likely to own their own homes than in all ethnic minority households combined. So the ethnic minorities they mentioned was Asian, black, mixed. So Asian, black, mixed. And yeah, Asian, black and mixed. And then the other ones in white were white Irish, white gypsy, white other, other. So they were saying that white British was more likely to own their homes than all the other ethnic groups I just mentioned combined, which is crazy. I was like, wow, okay, cool. Then the other things it was telling me, sorry, this is a lot of information that I'm trying to read through. Mixed white and Asian households also had a similar rate of home ownership to white British households at 70%. So white British households were 68%, mixed white and Asian households were 70%, as we were saying. This, okay, this bit is the most interesting bit. So this bit they were talking about um, home ownership by ethnicity and socioeconomic group. And this one, well, was like, okay, something is definitely going wrong here. So it was talking about the percentage of households that owned their own home by ethnicity and socioeconomic group. So the top um, socioeconomic group that they mentioned was higher managerial, administrative and professional occupations. So here we're talking, I'm pretty sure, like um, teachers, head teachers, bankers, CEOs. So for example, you need a degree to be in those, um, to work in those um, sectors, whatever. They were saying... 81% of white British individuals who had a job in higher managerial places owned their own home. So 81% of white British people. 53% of other than white British individuals ha owned their own home. This is in England, so it's just not London, right? 81 versus 53%. Now, that is really big. That, for many hundreds of reasons... We can probably figure out ourselves. And that is definitely rooted in systemic racism. You could obviously say, oh, well, maybe they just don't. Maybe other than British white people don't really want to buy homes in the UK. But a lot of people, especially um, most of these people could be around the, sim the ages of 30, 40. Have, let's say they have children as well. Most of the time, they would want to buy a home. Let's be real. Most people have the aim of buying a home whatever so the, the fact that there is a 28 percent gap between white british and other than white british individuals isn't definitely is something that we can't ignore and this is definitely to do with systemic racism for example if it's um what am i trying to say the inability um to get a loan that can finance them enough if it's because their credit score isn't high enough due to different reasons that they're not able to get a, a loan from their bank if it's because it could be hundreds of reasons like honestly why they couldn't be able to purchase a home but the fact that it's a 28 percent gap is shocking it really is shocking and with intermediate occupations which is the one level lower down of the groups 71 percent um white british and 42 percent was other than white british and for routine and manual occupations it was 53 percent white british and 30 percent other than white British. But actually, I just realised now, I was screaming about the top high managerial, but the intermediate of occupation has a difference of um, 29%. And the one above higher managerial was um, 
And the last area I want to talk about um, in the UK, because I feel like in the UK this is something definitely prevalent, definitely prevalent everywhere actually, but um, the job world, the job world, the corporate world, getting jobs and all of that. I'm going to spit facts out. I'm not even going to talk about it. Fact one, people with um, men and backgrounds, so that is Middle Eastern and North African backgrounds, need to send in 90% more job applications than white Britons to get receive the same share of callbacks. They need to give in 90% more call, which is crazy. And on average, the survey that they did, whatever, 24% of applicants of white British origin received a positive response from employers compared to 50% of minority, minority ethnic applicants. They had the same CV and the same cover letter. So the only thing that differentiates them is their background and obviously their names. They had the same CV, same cover letter, all of that, duh, 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 whatever. And all the minority applications said that they were either British born or had arrived in the country by the age of six and had all of the education and training in the UK. So basically they had the same education, well, you could say they had the same education as the white Britons, whatever. It's just that they had a different name and different background. Cool. And yeah, like even a weird thing, like black victims of fraud are t more than twice as likely to not get a refund, which is crazy. I'd even know that that was a thing compared to white customers, because you know there was they, there's a notion that this was what the um not survey the research was talking about that being a, a person of of an ethnic minority or of color that you're making your claim is less believable on the surface. It's shocking that that could happen to you, whatever. And also the stereotypes, you know, of ethnic minorities. I don't even need to get into that or fraud and whatever. Um, is basically, you know, all based on racial discrimination. We don't even need to get to that, especially in the banking sector, which I didn't even know was a thing until I was reading. Because even, like, there was a thing where... I'm just reading this article. I'm actually just reading this article now. Like, um, David Cameron said that Nigeria and Afghanistan were fantastically corrupt, which, you know, it's a whole other thing in itself. Yeah. So, guys, that was basically what I wanted to tell you guys. I just wanted to give you guys a lot of facts, a lot of stuff to think about. If you didn't know the history of systemic racism, I hope I touched on the US and the UK as equally as I could. Um, kind of hard. Isn't much about the UK. Most of it I had to do a lot of research reading. Some of it I had to just like, you know, gather quite hard. But yeah, guys, I hope you enjoyed. I hope you got something from this. I hope this wasn't just a whole lot of waffle. I'm definitely going to do an episode on the effects of um, systemic racism in the UK properly because this was just more about history and then a little bit of an overview about the effects in the UK but I definitely want to talk about this in more depth especially with somebody else because it's very interesting but yes thank you all so much for listening I hope you learned something and I will see you next time